Welcome to Investment Magazine's ongoing podcast series, The Future of Super. These podcasts are an in-depth series of conversations with key decision makers, leaders and industry stakeholders at a time when the maturing industry is challenged to provide retirement solutions for older Australians, as well as continuing the work of building assets for those still in the workforce. We explore critical topics for executives responsible for governance, for operations and outcomes, addressing vital issues relevant to the future of Australia's retirement and savings system. Please visit investmentmagazine.com.au or get in touch to continue the conversation. And now, please enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Future of Super podcast on retirement advice. I'm your host, Julia Newbold, Managing Editor at Conexus, publisher of Investment Magazine. And this podcast is brought to you in partnership with AIA Australia, a leading life and wellbeing specialist with 50 years experience and a commitment to help Australians live healthier, longer, better lives. So today we're talking about retirement advice. It's something that has fairly recently come onto the Superfund agenda. The Retirement Income Covenant, which came into effect on 1st of July this year, required all super funds to publish a retirement income strategy on their website. What resulted was a great discrepancy between what funds were offering in that way. Some have started on products, others on just stating they were working on one to meet the needs of fund managers. This has resulted in a shift in thinking from super funds totally focused on accumulation in super to what happens in retirement. It has also highlighted the importance of advice in the whole scheme. Today we have two great guests who have much experience in the field of retirement income. Jeremy Cooper and Kate McCallum, welcome. Jeremy is well known to many of you. He has had a wide-ranging career spanning over more than 35 years, two decades in a large law firm, doing corporate and M&A work, five years as Deputy Chair of ASIC, a year as Chair of a Comprehensive Review of Australia's Super System, Cooper Review, and more than 11 years as Chairman Retirement Income at Challenger, which ended in August 2022. Kate McCallum is an award-winning financial advisor and co-author of the bestseller The Joy of Money, The Australian Women's Guide to Financial Independence. Kate holds a Master of Commerce and postgraduate qualifications in applied finance and financial advice. Thank you both for joining me. So let's start with a little bit more about the experiences of our guests. Jeremy, your last role was specifically in retirement income for Challenger. Do you feel that things have changed since the retirement income covenant has come into effect? Well, yes, I do, but let's let's face it, you know, that was only a few months ago. But having said that, you can point to, I did a quick calculation, there are at least five, if not six, um, new, uh, what you might call, lifetime income style products. They're all a little bit different, but are intended to respond to what the retirement income covenant was looking for. So that's kind of tangible evidence of change. But you've got to go back. Um, you know, the retirement income covenant and related ideas have been um, in the superannuation ether now for, for about, around about the last decade. And I'd say it's probably in the last three to perhaps five years, it's just kind of an incremental increase in awareness about the needs for, for making the retirement phase better and actual action and activity. I remember a long time ago, back in about 2014, we were partnering in some thought leadership with KPMG and we came up with the idea, we looked at the 
how super funds were structured. There were these very powerful people called CIOs, chief investment officers, and we said, well, why don't we, as a bit of a sort of taunt to the industry, why don't we say, well, that's all very well, but you need a CRIO, a chief retirement income officer that's, you know, responsible and sort of all-knowing and all-powerful in the retirement phase. And that was just meant to sort of provoke discussion. And we look forward to today. I don't think anyone out there has called that, but there are certainly people who uh, whose mandate sort of is specifically in the retirement phase, whether they've come up through the member services or perhaps product or what have you. So it's, it's not, not too far off where we are now where, where there's a lot of focus on the um, on the phrase, so maybe you don't give all credit to the last um, kind of four months when the when the um, covenant was in force. It's been been something that's been building up over the years. Kate, when you look at your clients, how much do they understand their retirement income needs? This is a oh, it's the sort of sixty four thousand dollar question. It, look, it, it it varies, and I think to Jeremy's point. So much of our world is focused on accumulation and we've been very focused on, you know, let's make sure that we've got some contributions to go into super or savings and and the building of wealth. And so I think people focus a lot on the number that they might need in retirement. But then what happens after that? Well, you know, it tends to be a little bit fuzzy. So, look, it does vary. Um, certainly, there are many clients and, you know, my advised clients fall into this category where we do a lot of work with them in the lead up towards retirement. So, they are definitely in the category who have a clearer idea of how much money they'll need, what their income um, might look like in retirement, what expenditure they can afford and what those guardrails look like. You know, So what, what do you do, for example, if we're in a downturn like we are now? How do you adjust spending and how much do you need to, um, to sort of change up what you're doing? I think if I think about um, the world more generally, the, the biggest challenge we've got is that at the moment we know that only about 10% of Australians currently receive advice. So that's 90% of people who, you know, don't currently get advice and, and are going into a very, very complex phase of their lives without, you know, necessarily having an objective party to give them very specific personal guidance on on where they might go to. And so I think we, we do have a gap um, around that that sort of clarity around what do I do, what things might come up for me that I haven't um, necessarily thought about, and then how do I best navigate what is a very uncertain stage of life. So, Jeremy, do you think more broadly when we do look at many retirees, how, pre- how prepared are they when it comes to what they will need in retirement? Do you think there is a big need with Superfund members for advice leading up to retirement? Look, there is. And Frontier, the investment consultants, did some very good research earlier just this year, which showed that roughly 60% of members of, of large, that uh, had a sample, a decent sample of large um, Aprofund members that they surveyed, and roughly 60% of them just needed some form of guidance, not necessarily full advice, but they just needed something from their fund to point them in the right direction, which um, really, I suppose, informs the whole 
debate around, you know, what's going to happen to happen to the advice rules in order for the retirement income covenant to work. There's your sort of on the ground evidence about about what people are looking for. And the other way of saying it is you could almost say that I, I don't know, I'd include myself in this uh, in this statement that almost nobody is fully prepared for what's in store in retirement in the sense that it's uncertain, you don't know how long you're going to live, you don't necessarily know what's going to happen either to yourself, your partner, whether or not there is a partner. There is home, so many unknowns, including uh, uh, your own life expectancy. It's a very difficult, you, you, you know, you could do a PhD in understanding, and I'm sure many people have, but understanding, you know, what are all the intricacies of, of life expectancy. It's very difficult to understand. I find people around the industry using the wrong types of life expectancies and just not really understanding what the concept is. The concept's really useful. As you said in your introduction, I used to work for Challenger, which is a life insurance company and other things. But in relation to the life expectancy concept, it's a very useful concept. When you've got a great big pool of lives, you can estimate, because of the law of large numbers, pretty accurately what over thousands and thousands of experiences is going to be the, the, the average life expectancy. When you go into an advisor's office or even the super fund talking to its members and you're only dealing in ones and twos, the concept almost becomes useless. I know, that, I know that's a dramatic thing to say, but to tell a person, um, let's, uh, let's make it easy, make, make it a 67-year-old female whose life expectancy just happens to be 90 on average, there's only a one in 20 chance that that'll be the year in which she's, she's going to pass away. That's very, very sort of, you always think, well, what's the point of that information? What it really is, is a range of one standard deviations from about age 82 to 98. So somewhere in there, two thirds of women of that age are going to live, but we don't know which is which. They're very difficult concepts. It really is. So if we look at the definition of super and retirement income, superannuation is for supporting us in retirement and funding the lifestyle of our choice and, and means. And there are great variations between what's considered a comfortable retirement. And while ASFR has developed a standard amount, how well is it understood by those planning their future? It's difficult to judge. So currently the amount that ASFR estimates that is needed is 66725 for a couple and $47,383 for a single person aged between... um, 65 and 84, and they've done other calculations, so it's $61,108 and $43,996, respectively, for those aged around 85. And to earn those, it's estimated that at retirement, you need a lump sum of $640,000 per couple and $545,000 for a single. And those numbers are not necessarily right for everyone's retirement, but they're a good starting place. So, Kate, starting with you, can you tell us a bit about the type of clients you have and what their understanding is in this area? Yes, so I work with a range of clients. Some of my clients will have um, numbers that are way above the ASFA retirement guides and, you know, good on them, lucky that they're in that position. Interestingly, though, they tend also to have lifestyles that are way above the comfortable lifestyle that the uh, ASPA guidelines suggest. So in many ways, the methodology is similar regardless of what the dollar looks like. The work that I do with clients is I actually use the ASPA retirement standard guidelines a lot. So there's a lovely breakdown of the um, component parts of that annual 
income that ASPA has um, pulled together. And it's based on real research. So, you know, ASPA's done an amazing job of actually going out and doing real research with real people to identify what the typical comfortable retiree would spend in retirement. We use that as a base. And what I ask my clients to do is to go through those line-by-line items. And there's obviously your essential expenses like your utilities and housing costs. And there's discretionary expenses, whether it's travel or eating out or memberships and subscriptions hobbies, those sorts of things. And I asked them to go through line by line and basically identify where their expenditure they anticipate might be different. And sometimes it's unders, often it's overs, um, and the overs are typically in the discretionary items. What we find is a couple of really interesting things. One is that sometimes they're surprised at how much more they spend than they realised by the time we do this exercise. And for many of these people, they haven't had to think a lot about how much money is actually going out because they've always had healthy cash flow coming in. So that's the first thing. The second thing is we often also see a bit of a flurry of expenditure in the early years of retirement, which is not surprising. You know, you've suddenly got your freedom wings and what do you want to do? You want to be able to go and take up all of these new hobbies. Um, One of the women that I sail with has just taken up the cello. Um, People like to travel. They suddenly want to be able to do more for children and grandchildren. So it's, it's almost like the gates are opened up and sometimes what we need to do is pace out that flurry of spending so that they don't spend too much too soon. Um, probably the, the the other thing that I've encountered, and this is more in the broader media work that I do, so I do a, a regular spot with ABC Radio and we have callers calling in asking questions about retirement. And interestingly, there's probably a big cohort than many of us realise where their circumstances are going to determine what they need in retirement or what they can afford in retirement. So it's circumstances, not choice. And in many ways for them, um, ironically, life is a little less complex because it is the age pension and perhaps the the bit of money that they've saved um, in their retirement savings or superannuation that's going to actually drive their lifestyle in retirement. And that's very reflective of the ASPA modest lifestyle, which I always think is interesting because ASPA says that you only need to have $70,000 accumulated to afford a modest lifestyle. And of course, that's because of the generosity of um, our age pension system. At AIA, our dream is to champion Australia to be the healthiest and best protected nation in the world. To achieve this, we are continuously innovating to develop and deliver customer-led life, health and well-being propositions that help people live healthier, longer, better lives. To find out more, visit aia.com.au. At the education side, we agree that most Australians need help in planning their retirement because it is very complex. And super funds are now going to be obliged to offer some sort of assistance in the planning and potentially advice on products. Jeremy, is that going to be enough for most people, do you think? Well, going back to um, to Kate's point about only only around ten percent of people getting getting real personal advice, um, it's most likely going to be better uh, than they're getting at the moment. So that's that's that step forward. Uh, these things, you know, if we go back in time uh, for reasons that really do escape me, but a, a large number of the super funds that we see out there. On the landscape, not not all of them by any means, but a large number of them really didn't foresee 
that they were going to be in the advice business as well as the sort of building up of retirement savings business. And they they almost actively, yeah, not in all cases, in other cases it was exactly the opposite. You know, we, we can all point to super funds that, that own advice businesses and have very sophisticated uh, connections to all sorts of different um, licensed advisors. But there was a rump of significant run for funds that looked at the advice business and thought, well, that's a business we don't really understand and don't want to be in. And they, they actually resisted. It's only, only to relatively recently that all, all big funds have had advice licenses um, and, and to be prepared to get in the game. So we're coming, they didn't foresee what significant financial institutions, if you like, they were, they were going to become as, as this industry grew. So we're in, we're in heavy catch-up mode. The complexities and other aspects of the advice rules have not helped, and nor has the, I think, very uh, conservative and sort of cautious attitude that a lot of firms have had at all, all led to a fairly toxic brew, if you like, where unfortunately the uh, the end member has not been getting the quality and, and quantity of information needed. Now, let's hope the combina- combination of the retirement income covenant and the quality of the advice review sort of knocks down a lot of those barriers. So I think in, in, in answer to your original question, look, it will be a step forward. And over time, I think it will be a major step forward as funds get more and more comfortable with using digital advices is assuming that uh, we, we get some some really significant reform in this area, digital tools, all sorts of different conversations and so on, and it, and it will incrementally improve. So, Kate, as um, Jeremy's just said, the quality of advice review led by Michelle Levy's stated terms of reference is working on how to provide affordable advice to more Australians. How do you feel about the proposals so far? I'm actually very, very supportive of them. Um, There's three key things that I wanted to focus on in particular. Uh, Despite some of the criticisms that Michelle Levy has received, I actually really like the focus on the quality of the output of the advice rather than who's giving it. And I think her comments around the consumer protections that exist um, are absolutely spot on. But this this concept of it's it's actually the quality of the advice that matters. Um, And what that then does as a second point is it keeps the education standards that we've fought so hard to have in place, it keeps them intact. So there's no change to an advisor having to have, um, you know, professional education, um, meet the education standards, be a member of a profession and, and be licensed. And, and that to me is, is really good because I think that has really shifted the advisory profession. The third thing is I think it does act open up access to a lot more people than currently get advice. And, you know, um, I come from um, the big bank and product world many, many moons ago before establishing the advice business 16 years ago. And what I saw back then was that as long as the matching of a provider like a super fund and advice, as long as that um, is absolutely clear and transparent what we're doing, then I actually think it's okay. And the best analogy I feel is, you know, the analogy to buying a car. If I want to buy a Toyota, I go to a Toyota dealership and I get to speak to somebody who understands Toyota and I expect to walk out with a Toyota. If I want to buy a Mazda, I go to a Mazda dealership. And I look, I know there's some greatness in that these days, but in general terms, 
um, you know, we we can choose which doors we walk into. And, and so I think that that clarity and transparency is very good. That then gives us a fabulous benefit. And this benefit is, is really pertinent right now, which is we have a major skill shortage in the professional advice space. We just simply don't have enough professional advisors to provide advice to the people who want it. Um, so we've got this lovely opportunity where you can actually have a, a narrower base almost for the nature of the advice that you're delivering. You can be more expert, and to Jeremy's point earlier about this shift from accumulation to retirement incomes, you know, in our focus, um, you could have somebody who is an expert just on that transition piece. And then the digital tools that are being discussed at the moment, they come in to sit behind that. So they're working in tandem. Um, I, I would be very reluctant to see digital tools on their own without a human um, because I believe that things need to be very personalised. As Jeremy's already said, I think there are huge elements of uncertainty and I think we should actually talk about, about some more of those unknowns. Um, and then we're dealing with behaviour. You know, at the end of the day, investment is, is a very, very interesting area where it's not about how much you know. It's actually about behaving well over time. And so those behaviour ones, and there's never, ever been, um, you know, a more pertinent point to be having this conversation is now where we're looking at market returns, which are down about 10%. Um, and this urgency that people have to want to rebalance or move to cash, when we know over time it's the worst thing that people can possibly do. So the behaviour one I think is really key as well. And that's really hard to monitor unless you have someone who's holding you to account a bit in that. Jeremy, do you think that the quality of advice proposals will help more Australians get more advice through super funds in particular? Uh, it certainly looks that way, although the um, reception of the final, we've seen um, you know, good exposure of some draft ideas, which I agree strongly with Kate that they, uh, you know, this, this area is unfortunately very broken for whole we could have a, another hour's conversation as to the whole history of this but i don't think anybody disagrees with you know something major needs to happen with the, the laws around um, financial advice in this country for a whole range of reasons this is this is absolutely one of them so let's hope um uh, what i mean is that we need some pretty bold we can't just be tinkering around with a few definitions we need some some very major changes and um so let's let's see those, and then then we need to get the right sort of political reception to that as well. So it's, we're not we're not completely home and hose there, but I, I like like Kate does. I like where it's uh, where it's heading, and, and part of the outcome is to just get rid of these blockages and um, you know have the ability for the literally tens of thousands of people who are already in retirement in big super funds and many many more coming to get, um, you know, much more useful and granular advice than their, than their current, or guidance or whatever it is than they're currently getting. In addition, the other thing that I'm really conscious of is we often link retirement income to superannuation. And superannuation is not the only source of people's retirement incomes. And in particular, for many women who may not have worked or had disrupted patterns of working, they may have no superannuation or very, very small balances, and, and it's going to go nowhere towards providing a dignified retirement income. And so with the 
proposition around superannuation funds providing advice to members, we're obviously going to tackle part of the issue, but there's going to be a, a, another area out there which is outside of that. And that's that's probably the other one that I'm very conscious of that we just haven't as yet solved. So to Jeremy's point, I think um, the way that we think about retirement and intrinsically link it to superannuation um, is a, a false premise and we actually need to broaden that conversation and, and I think that's starting to happen. So typically members, you know, thinking about retirement, they might want advice on how much do I need to retire, how can I plan for my retirement, when can I afford to retire, do I need insurance and protection, what should I do with a bonus, windfall, inheritance or Conversely, you know, what do I do with a setback and health issue? And perhaps how can I make sure I'm able to leave something for my kids? Now, some of those can possibly be done through an automated service of some sort. But how complex do you think, Kate, is the provision of this advice? And if you were to offer it, you know, how affordable would that be for people? Oh, gosh, yes, this is this is tricky. Um <laughs> One of the things that I often think about is if I roll my life back 10 years, and it's a nice little thought experiment for, for everybody to do, and you say, if I look back that, that time frame and say, could I have imagined that that 10 years would have played out the way that it has, there are so many things along that journey that were surprises. And that's, I'm not even talking, you know, external surprises like pandemics and wars in Europe. Um, you know, I'm talking about, you know, fundamentally moving location, um, changing up the way that um, I think about, you know, my hobbies, a whole, whole bunch of things have changed, which I couldn't have predicted. Um, my children moving out of home, which was um, on the on the upside financially. Um, so I think, I think to the conversation that we've already started to have around the uncertainty, I think that's one of our single biggest challenges. This is very personal. Advice around retirement, it, it, it's its such an important pivot point because it's almost like there's, it, it's very hard to go back and repair. You know, it, it's not like when you're working and you might make a bad decision about your career or, you know, you might buy the wrong investment and it doesn't go so well. You've kind of got time to catch up. Many of the people I talk to who are at this pivot point around retirement, that's their single biggest fear is there's not enough time left to make up for the errors or, or for mishaps. Um, and so I think we do have to help people to understand that um, there's there's a range of different options available to them um, to talk them through what those scenarios might look like and, and to do some of that scenario planning so that when the mishaps might occur, then they're not as confounded by it. They're better able to actually cope with it. Um, and look, some of those mishaps, as I said, they could be, ill health, they could be ill health of a child or, um, you know, we've come across a few where it's actually the parents um, who end up in ill health and, and haven't adequately provisioned and so the kids end up helping the parents out. Um, but there's just like there's so many branches in the decision tree. You know, I think that's sort of where I end up with. And then this inevitable uncertainty. And the uncertainty, as we've said, is about life expectancies. It's about the rate of um, return that I might get in retirement. And it's about all of these other external um, factors. So you know, it's, it's just a world of unknowns. And, and I think 
most of the digital type tools require either a binary response, you know, so yes, no, or a very quantitative response. Um, and I've done some of these quizzes and questionnaires to sort of test them out. Um, so I think in their current form, um, they can be misleading um, and not very helpful. Um, so I do, I do think that um, you know the, the complexity of the advice is definitely uh, a big issue. Um, in answer to your question about cost, um, I'm going to answer that by just sharing what the median fee for advice is currently, um, and that's three and a half thousand dollars. Now, for many people. Um, that's going to be okay for, for a lot of people. They're going to actually require more advice than that dollar fee will buy. Um, so it is a complex area. I think the other aspect of it, which we haven't really touched on too much, is the complexity of some of the products. And many of the products are in their infancy. So annuity products have been around for a long time, and Jeremy can talk far more knowledgeably about the details of sort of simple versus complex annuities after his time at Challenger. Um, but if we think about some of the other things that are being um, talked about in the component parts of providing retirement income, one of the other key ones is home equity release. And I'm definitely seeing people where this is going to need to be part of their planning approach. Yet those products are very much in their infancy. They are very complex. Um, there's been some good guardrails put in place, and I think you know we probably need to talk more about what are the guardrails on some of the products to keep them simple enough. Um, but I think that's an area that um, we're going to need a lot more very, very careful and clever design to match to people's requirements over time. So, Jeremy, reflecting on your time at Challenger, I'm guessing there's a lot of tools that you can use from Challenger and there's been a lot of research with all insurance companies on developing tools. It, do you think that this is an area, retirement is an area where the digital tools can really help people? I think they can. Um, I, I, I really strongly believe that, but it's it's quite even globally um you know with so much um capital and enhancement of everything digital it's hard to point to a sort of knockout um you know the, the product or a thing that's that really has, has sort of shifted the, the game in ways in other if i think of anything from video games to the ipad that i'm speaking into at the moment you know so, so many things have just kind of leapt forward the Digital tools area so far, anyway, for me, has been somewhat disappointing. Has tended to stick to, particularly if you look at all of the US examples, they solve problems that are specific to the business model of, or the product that um, that the vendor is is working on. But I think if you if you just ignore all of that and say, well, you know, couldn't tools do really useful things like? illustrate risk or illustrate the uncertainty or range of, of possible outcomes in a way that wasn't too complicated, obviously. That's 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 one um, thing. But also, I think um, what they can do is is just just reinforce the just the sheer length of time that um, and this is where I think humans, I think if you go to personal advice, I think your average advisor finds it extremely difficult to talk credibly about, well, look, actually, this retirement that we're talking about is going to go on for 25 years. So that's two and a half decades. 
I'm not going to, I'll, I'll have retired by then, says the advisor. So what they tend to do, and funds do the same thing, is they bring the horizon that they're prepared to talk about or as humans, because humans, all humans find their future selves and this the future in general extremely difficult both to talk about and to conceptualise. What tends to happen is the 25-year retirement, which is actually factually what it is, can be a lot more for, for females. It's an incredibly long time. It's dragged back to something like five to eight years and sometimes even less. You can actually see this in the statements of advice where people go, oh, you know, over the next, over, over the medium term, this is going to happen. And you sort of drill down a bit and you find out they're only talking about five or eight years. Whereas a digital tool, you know, can extrapolate and show the, the variability and so on. But we've just got an enormous amount more work to do, unfortunately. And whose responsibility do you think that should be? Like, you know, as you alluded, product providers are going to make them relevant to their products and advisors might yeah. have the time horizon cut. In. Yeah. I'm going to get a bit spiky here. Um, you know, one of the problems is that um, the standards that ASIC has applied have been, and they've just done it again in, a, in a, some recent re reworking of, um, of calculators and projections and so on. It's sort of taken the oh, well, as long as the assumptions are reasonable and basically take a, I won't say lowest common denominator, but they've sort of bounced along with what the industry sort of prefers to do. What the industry prefers to do, of course, is use basically determinative, you know, they just put assumed return over two, over two and a half decades for a sort of balanced asset mix, you know, 6.2% stock. You know, and so really somebody needs to say, well, that's just inadequate. You need to have stochastic returns in there that are going to actually mimic um, something far more likely. And then that, that involves money and it involves, you know, more uh, uh, capable, you know, computers with more power. And, and nobody's really incentivized to do that because the regulatory standards are, are very, very loose. And so we really need to sort of take a deep breath and, and move to that next step forward. And I couldn't think of a better um, start for that to actually be money smart itself, which has kind of been drifting now for some years. Money smart, you just need to spend the money and say, okay, well, here's, here's the, the benchmark, here's the sort of standard we're expecting from uh, from financial models in the 21st century after all, and they do not involve um, just plugging single average returns into into projections. We're going to have to, you know, take a take a step forward. But um, I'm not holding my breath for, for that to happen anytime soon. I guess other um, areas that complicate retirement planning are whether people are homeowners, non-homeowners, homeowners, singles, couples, um, retiring at different ages. How complicated does that make the whole system? It is and it isn't. Um, yes, it's there are probably six or eight things. If I'm, if I'm working in it, let's just wind the clock forward and it's 2025 or something and I'm working in the call centre of one of these new great big super funds, all the rules have changed and I can answer, I can give, um, give advice over the phone to people about this basic stuff. There are probably six or eight questions that you need to know. One of them is, do you own your own home? Yes or no? Are you in a financial couple? I don't need I need to know whether you're married or not, but is there someone else sharing the load with you or on your own? Two. What's your health like? Three. You're still working. You know, basically, by the time you've been doing that job for a couple of years, you'll be going, hang on, I'll tell you, you tell me what's different from my standard checklist, and this is how technology works. Basically, go, I'll share you a template, which bits 
are you different from the from the standard? It, it just gets at scale, and once you know what you're doing, it gets like as easy as falling off a log. If you have a blank sheet of paper, it sounds and looks hard. So we're at the sort of we're somewhere in between those two things. So yes, retirement is much more individualised than than the generic. Uh, if you're a 40 year old year old worker, just just make your compulsory contributions, and we'll get back to you in in a while, kind of thing. So people are different in retirement, but they're not so different that it can't be dealt with on a on a mass scale. In in my book. Now, Jeremy, Kate's talked about you, you know you're very familiar with the retirement product. And many super funds are currently working on their own, but will that be enough? Can people go to their super fund, obtain advice on whatever the super fund has to get a better understanding of maybe how it might work to combine products from different areas? How How's that going to happen? Look, I think so. Even this week, I'm not going to mention them, but a, you know, a major Australian um, financial services organisation has put out a, a new product. And I think what we'll see in time is that an organisation that does that will become very good at explaining how it works. Now, that might not be a nirvana in the sense that they may um, be experts in their own product, but it comes back to Kate's Toyota example. I think it was Toyota. <laughs> Excuse me if I've got the wrong car brand. But, you know, it, if, if a large organisation builds a product that actually does have a longevity component in it and it's 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 you know a bit different from the current products at the moment. Uh, a lot of a lot of both consumers and advisors will think, well, I don't, you know, I don't even understand this product. But over time, with the training and all the rest of it, it's not that difficult. And so you'll get organisations that are extremely good. You know, they could they could explain underwater if you like that their own product and and whether it's suitable and what it can do and and so on. So I think. So long as we accept um, that aspect, it might be a little bit demanding for your average um, licensed advisor to sort of be expert on every single one of those products. We'll just have to see how what the variability and complexities. You know, as someone who's worked with with these sorts of products, they don't they don't seem that complicated to me. But you know, I've got a bit of an un, unfair advantage. So again, it'll take time. It'll take training, um, and you know, let's hope we um, we end up getting it right. What do you think, Kate? I think um, the, the trick is where you need multiple of the products packaged together, and it's a bit of a jigsaw puzzle. Um, you know, we've we've as a um, as a uh, an industry, the you know sort of account based pension has been um, probably the the. Um, product du jour, you know, like we used to have defined benefit pensions and then when voluntary superannuation came in, um, you know, people going into retirement would set up their own personal retirement and, and that was the money that they lived on and they were um, and are um, subject to the vagaries of the, the market. Um, obviously, with annuity products, which have been around for a long time, you know, that that's giving people the option to have some money in a certain income stream, which I think gives a lot of comfort. 
But as I mentioned before, and, and this is starting to bubble up more and more, I think there are other products out there that we need to actually have in this jigsaw puzzle. And, and the biggest one that I see on, on the horizon is the home equity release. Um, and, of course, you know, reverse mortgages have got a very, very bad name. Um, they certainly weren't very attractive products when they first came out. And I think people are a little bit scared of them. Um, but we're starting to see, you know, obviously there's, there's now far tighter rules around those and we're starting to see some other sort of equity release type products, um, as well as, you know, in addition, you know, which we haven't talked about very much, is just how do you make sure that you're eligible for anything that the government has on offer to support you? Because we had this amazing safety net in Australia called the Age Pension. But from a home equity release perspective, there's also something called the pension loan scheme, which the government runs to give people access so that if you do have some lump sum expenses, you know, you, you do have the opportunity to actually use some of the capital in your home. So it's it's giving that that flexibility. Um, and as people live longer, um, you know, which we know that we all are longer lifespans, we probably are, are going to need to use some of that home equity um, in a way that's managed and controlled and that people feel comfortable with. So I want to ask both of you, are people actually spending their super? Are they really seeing it as funding their lives in retirement or are they using it as a tax vehicle or a saving structure to help the next generation? And do you think that more advice is needed here? Well, they can't depend so much money they've got. So, uh, you know, they've got tons of money. There's no question that that super is just a tax, intergenerational tax vehicle. You can make sure you you um, utilize. I won't use the word exploit, but you utilize all of the little benefits it gets, and then you, you plan to pass it on to the next generation. And you can see almost every day in the media calls to cap super at five million and all this kind of thing. So we, we we'd have to wonder how long it is that we're going to have. You know, self-managed super funds floating around there with one or two hundred million dollars sitting in them. But as you come down the wealth scale, although people may not like this, um, the reality is, and this is a this is a key point that anybody talking to um, a person approaching retirement or going into retirement needs to hear, because they've had forty years of save, 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 build up wealth, grow wealth, you know, etc. And then when they get to this point, they go, "Well, look, you can largely forget all of that." Um, because you don't, you're not a millionaire. You've got X amount here. You own your home, blah blah blah, and you're going to, you know, the way to enjoy your retirement is actually to spend this stuff now. The kids, the kids have already got their own suit. You don't need to. If you really want to, you can leave them the family home. What is the point of deferring the expenditure all your life? For, that's what super is. It's deferred consumption. You put it into super, it grows. What's the point of sort of treating that as immutable, unspendable capital in retirement? Here's what the retirement smooth spending gives you a better lifestyle, then the age pension starts to help as you spend it down. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you to AIA. You've been listening to Jeremy Cooper and Kate McCallum on the future of super. Please keep reading Investment Magazine to hear more in the series. <laughs>